Alrighty, church, if you have your Bibles, let's open those up. Turn it to the right side. Matthew chapter 22. If you look on the back of your worship guide, you've got a couple of passages that I will either go to or address this morning. But we're going to be flying by those pretty fast, so... That'll give you a head start if you want to try to turn there. So it's Matthew 22. We're going to be looking at verses 23 to 33. And that's going to be our launching point this morning as we continue on in this Misconceptions About Christianity series that we've been doing over the summer. In this series, we're looking at concepts within the Christian faith that have either been misunderstood or misinterpreted. Sometimes they're misunderstood by people outside of the faith, and sometimes they're misinterpreted by people inside of the faith. And so far we've done five, this is, or this is week five, we've done four of these. And my plan is to preach on four more of these topics before we get back to going through the New Testament epistles. We were going through some of the epistles before the summer started. Over the summer we like to take a break, do uh, some other things. And so I'm hoping that we'll get back into the New Testament epistles beginning at the beginning of October. Uh, but the misconception that we're going to be addressing this week is the idea that heaven gains an angel when one of our loved ones passes away. Uh, maybe you've heard this, maybe you have said this even, um, but I would be completely shocked if you haven't said it, if there wasn't someone around you who has. I mean, I've heard this my whole life. Right. Um, if you've never heard this before by someone that you know, I'm, I guarantee you that someone has at least seen a cartoon character that has something bad happen to it. They die, and then we see their spirit leave their body. There's a long flowing robe. There's angel wings on the back. There's a halo, and they're playing a harp as they drift away into heaven. Right, so one way or another, we have a concept in our head that when we die, we become angels. Right? Y'all seen that? Yeah. This is the concept that most people have, but it's not true. It's not true at all. According to the Bible, we do not become angels when we die, no matter how sweet the person is who happened to pass away. I do believe that there are some that are basically calling their loved one an angel before they go to heaven, and so that is part of it. It's not necessarily a misconception that they've become an angel, but that they were an angel here on earth and now, now heaven has them. Uh, but my goal today is to address in Scripture where I think this comes from. I also want to point out, some, we're going to do a little bit of uh, Bible study on the doctrine of man and the doctrine of angels, and it's going to be ever so brief. We could dive very, very deeply into this, but we're just 30,000 feet glancing at the surface of it all. right? And then I want to speak to what happens uh, what, what the Bible says happens when we die. Um, because to say that a follower of Christ, when they die, that they become an angel, it's actually a demotion. Right? We're actually taking away from the person in Christ when we say that they've become an angel. It's hard to believe that when we look at our own frailty and we see the might of angels in Scripture. It's hard to believe that we're actually taking a, a step back when we say that we've become an angel, but... Uh, being, if we were to become an angel, we would be taking a demotion. So where does this 
misconception come from? I don't know exactly where it originated. I mean, I couldn't find anything on like when this started to become a thing. Uh, but it seems like it could have come from something that Jesus says in Matthew 22 in verses 23 to 33. So I want to take a look at that together. Beginning in verse 23, it says, That same day some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came up to him and questioned him. Teacher, Moses says, If a man dies, having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first got married and died. Having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second also and the third, and so on to all seven. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, then, whose wife will she be of the seven? For they all had married her. Jesus answered them, You are mistaken because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. It says, When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So in this passage, when we, we see Jesus in yet another confrontation with a set of the religious leaders of the Jews, and these guys are called the Sadducees. And these guys do not believe in the resurrection, so they think that this life is all there is, and that makes them sad, you see. That is not my joke, but I like it. That is one of the best dad jokes in the Bible. I absolutely love it. It's terrible, and it makes me happy. So, knowing that they don't believe in the resurrection, that we can deduce by their question that they have no interest in actually learning anything from Jesus at this point. Right? They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to cause him problems. And uh, when it comes to this, you should understand that they, have, they don't really care what his answer is going to be. They just want him to fail. Right? The point that these men are bringing up is a point in the law of Moses that declares that if a man dies without having any children, it's the responsibility of his brother, assuming that he has one, to marry the brother's widow and to provide her with a son to carry on the name of the deceased brother. Right? If the woman gets pregnant with multiple children from this new marriage, it's just the firstborn son out of all of those children that will carry on the deceased brother's name, and then the rest of the children will belong to the brother who's actually the father of those kids. Uh, but all the, other, all the other kids are part of that new husband's legacy. But the firstborn son would then carry on the name of his brother. And this Sadducees hypothetical problem, you've got a, a woman who is married to a man who dies before having any kids, so she marries the man's brother to attempt to give her deceased husband an heir, but unfortunately that man dies as well, so she marries the next brother, and this pattern keeps happening all the way up through seven brothers. Now this was either the most pious group of men to ever exist, or the most naive, because after the third or fourth funeral, you have to start asking some questions, right? Like, what, what's going on here? And I can just imagine the seventh brother leaving the funeral of the sixth brother who have just died after being, you know, the sixth to die after marrying this woman, and he turns around, sees her looking at him expectantly, and he just goes, nah, we're good. <laughs> nah. Nah, we're good. You can take off. This isn't happening. I can just, I can't fathom running through 
six brothers and the seventh being okay with this. But in the story, that doesn't happen. All seven marry the serial killer and all seven die. And eventually she dies as well. And the Sadducees want Jesus to tell them whose wife she's going to be in the resurrection that they don't believe in. They don't believe that there's going to be a resurrection, but in this hypothetical resurrection, whose wife would she be? And after their question, Jesus tells them, you neither know the scriptures or the power of God, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And so again, when we look at all these misconceptions, as I've said before, there is usually a kernel of truth in each one. There's something in Scripture that has either been pulled out of context, they read it wrong, something is, has happened and they've just gone in the wrong direction with it. So does the Bible say anywhere in it that we are like the angels in heaven? Yes, it does. It says it right here. But here again, we must use the principles that our English teachers have taught us through the years of elementary education and we must learn how to read. Now, we must look at all the surrounding context to see what Jesus is talking about in this. And given the context, uh, how are we like angels in heaven given the, what the resurrection will look like? And it says that we are like them in that we are not given in marriage in the resurrection. Right? The angels do not marry and like them, we will not marry in the new heavens and the new earth. Right, so if you're a Christian and you're married or you've been married in the past and have lost your loved one to death, then your relationship with your spouse is going to be fundamentally different in heaven and on the new earth in that they will no longer be your spouse. Right, in the New Testament, we're called brothers and sisters in Christ and we will have that type of relationship in the future. We will no longer be husband and wife. Right, so... We are like angels in that one specific way. That's what Jesus is talking about. That doesn't mean that we become angels when we die. It means that you won't be married like the angels when we die. All right? Now, this is not the only way in Scripture that we see that humans and angels are similar. In Scripture, we can find other sim similarities between all of humanity and angels. For example, in Scripture, we see that angels are created beings just like us. Right? God created them in the same way that He created us. They, while they have power that we cannot begin to understand, they're not on the same level as God and they know it. Or they know that they are not God. Some of the angels don't like that. We see Lucifer and the angels that rebelled against God with him. They fall away from that because they want to be God. They want the position of God. They don't like the fact that they're not God. But they do know that they're not God. They don't like it, but they do know that it's not true. They cannot stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Creator. Like us, they were created to worship. And like us, they were created to be obedient to God's will. Those who are faithful to God will not accept our worship. Satan wants our worship. If you remember when he pulls Jesus out into the desert, he says, if you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything that you can see. So he wants that worship. He wants to be God. But all the other angels who are being obedient to God, they will not stand for our worship. We see this in Revelation 19 verses 9 and 10. In that passage, the Apostle John writes this. 
Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. An angel that is in right relationship with God is not going to accept our worship. They don't want us to bow down and worship them. They want that directed to the proper place, which is God. Angels are not wanting to be worshipped. In Revelation 5, we see them worshiping around the throne of God. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be joining in with them in that worship. We're going to see people from every tribe, tongue, nation, worshiping God around the throne along with the angels who are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait for that day. We also see, though, that angels were also created with intelligence. They were created with uh, morality inside them. They know what is right. They know what is wrong. We see them uh, having their own spirituality as they are worshiping God. And they also have free will. And all of these things are like us in our uh, creation. Right? Angels can think for themselves. They know right from wrong. The obedient angels, they worship the Lord and they do so freely and not out of compulsion. God is not making them worship that way. There are consequences if they don't, but he's not making them do that. Right? We see in Satan and the demons that if the angels choose to do so, they can rebel against God in the same way that we can choose to rebel against God. They can go their own way just like we can go our own way. So there's free will in that. But we also see massive differences in humanity and angels. Well, the, the most prominent, the most important difference that we see is found in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Right? Humanity is created in the likeness of God. In verse 26, Genesis says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. And so we uniquely in all of God's creation have the title of being created in God's image. Yes, while we see that angels are powerful beings and people are terrified of them when they show up, we alone are the pinnacle of God's creation because we alone were created in God's image. The Imago Dei. When we think about each other, when we think about the people across the world, every single person that we come across, whether they be a follower of Christ or not, were created in God's image, and that makes them unique among all of creation. Puts them at the top of everything that God ever created because nothing else carries that title of being made in God's image. But we also see a difference in that we were created lower than the angels, at least while we are here on earth. In Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 8, while speaking about Jesus, the author says this, For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we're talking about, but someone somewhere has testified, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. 
And so what we're seeing here is the author of Hebrews is saying that when Jesus came to earth as a man, he was made to be a little bit lower than the angels. Just a little bit less power as he lives out his life in his human flesh. We see that because angels, if you read all the different things that the New Testament says about angels, or even what we see in the Old Testament, angels are fast. Angels are powerful. They're terrifying. Right? Anytime an angel shows up, the people around them fall down as dead men. Right? They don't want any part of that. They either, people either fall down and pretend to be dead, or they try to worship, and the angels don't want any part of that. As spiritual beings, we see in the book of Daniel, for example, angels waging war against the demons in the spiritual realm. And they are extremely powerful. And if, if we could see everything that was going on around us in that spiritual realm, it would probably fracture our minds. We have no ability to, to understand the concept of that. There's this interesting story between Elisha, Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. And they're surrounded by enemies and they're, pan, uh, they're panicking. And Elijah looks at Elisha and says, Lord, I just want you to be able to, him to see what you have shown me. And all of a sudden, the veil is removed from his eyes, and he sees a, a mountain that's basically on fire from the chariots of God. Whole armies worth of angels just waiting to do God's bidding. So we're a little bit less than the angels in this life. And Jesus limited himself to humanity as well when he put on our flesh. And in doing so, it, the author of Hebrews is saying that he was made for a little while a little bit lower than the angels. Right, but that only applies to us while we are here on earth. In heaven and on the new earth, we're going to be much higher than the angels because we are co-heirs with Christ, as we see in Romans 8, 15 to 17. There, the Apostle Paul says this, Romans 8, 15 to 17, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So what you see here is that when we come to faith in Christ, we are opened up to the family of God. Now, scripture says that we are Children of wrath, we are rebels, we are slaves, we are dead in our trespasses and sin when we have gone our own way, when we have chosen to do our own thing. And Jesus, knowing that we could not save ourselves, offers himself up as a sacrifice so that we might have his righteousness and he takes on our sin. And when we accept the salvation that is offered through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are given his righteousness, and then when God looks at us, he sees Christ. And so, yes, while on earth we might be a little bit lower than the angels, in heaven we are co-heirs with Christ. Right? right now, I don't know what your status is in this life, but when you die or when Christ returns, we're going to walk into the throne room of God as God's children. All of these angels are meant to be subservient to us in all of their power, in all of their might, in all of their terror. They will bow the knee to us because we will be co-heirs with Christ. 
when they look at us, they'll see Jesus too. And this is also another thing that makes us different than the angels, right? It's the opportunity to receive that salvation. Right? First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Now, they don't understand salvation because they don't have the opportunity to be saved. Satan and the demons, when they rebelled against God, that was a one-time forever rebellion. They are not presented with the opportunity to come back to Christ in any way. And so we, we see in Scripture that when non-Christians become Christians, the angels see that and they rejoice over that. There's worship in heaven every single time one of us comes from someone who is dead in our trespasses and sin. When we have a new heart placed in us by the Holy Spirit and we put our faith in Jesus, the whole of heaven erupts in worship. They're interested in all of this and they don't have any access to it. It only belongs to us as people who are created in God's image. Because of our salvation, we have that same status as Christ, and they are looking at us in wonder because we have that relationship and they do not. We also see something interesting. Because of this status that we have as co-heirs with Christ, there's an interesting statement that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 to 3. Now, in what he is saying here, he's arguing with the Corinthian church because they're having trouble making decisions. They're not judging the way that they're supposed to be judging. And so Paul throws this out. He says, if any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? So they're having an argument within the church. They're struggling to make judgment about that. And so they take it outside of the church to the courts. He says, or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Verse 3, don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters in this life? So because of that status that we have in Christ, because of who we are before the Lord, when we are in heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, we will at some point sit in judgment over the angels. All of these angels that have rebelled against God, that have chosen to go their own way, Paul says there will be a day coming when we will sit in judgment over them. So created a little bit lower right now, but not for long and not forever. One day, when we come into our own as co-heirs with Christ, we will sit in judgment over the angels that have rebelled against God. So you see, I, I get what we're going with when someone says that you know, their loved one has gone to heaven, heaven has gained a new angel, or that person has gained their wings. Right? I'm thinking about It's a Wonderful Life, where Clarence, I think is his name, gets his wings. You know, like, that's, that's what they're going for, and I, and I get that sentiment. 
But when you look in Scripture and you see who we are in Christ, right? when we have recognized our, our failures, when we have recognized our sinfulness, when we see the fact that Christ came and died for us so that we could be restored in relationship to the Father, and we have our eyes open to that, our heart is changed to that, and we accept that, and we step into this relationship with the Father, then to say that we become angels, you have demoted us to the position of servant. When in reality, we're princes and princesses, like for real, not, not this where we think we're princes and princesses and think we should get our own way, but we actually will be. So no, 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 if, if I die tomorrow, do not dare say that I have gotten my angel wings. I have walked into the throne room of God as my father, as an adopted member of his family, and I will take my position beside Christ for the rest of eternity. So if this is something that you have said, I'm not shaming you. I don't want you to feel shame, but I want you to know the truth. It is so much better than that. It's so much better than becoming an angel. We get to become the son or daughter of the king, and we will reign in that place for eternity. Now, my question to you here today is this. Have you accepted that position that is being offered to you in Christ? Are you going through life, rebelling against God, doing your own thing, thinking that it's going to be okay in the end, when in reality it will not be? You are walking in condemnation if you do not have an, a relationship with Christ now. But Jesus has opened the door of salvation to you. He's presenting the gift of salvation as a, it's free. You have to do nothing except acknowledge your sinfulness and acknowledge Him as your Savior and Lord. And if you will do that, he will change your heart. He will change your life. And he will change your status. You will no longer be just a little bit lower than the angels. You will be a co-heir in Christ who has everything presented to you for eternity as the king's son or daughter. Have you made that decision here today? If not, I beg you to make that decision today. I would love to talk to you about that after the service if that is something that you need to talk with me about. For those of you who have made that profession of faith, do you live as a son or a daughter of the king? Do you let other people's opinion of you change the way that you think about yourself, the way that you live your life? Are you living with only this life in mind? Right? If I, if I don't pursue after this, or if this person thinks this way about me, maybe I don't advance in my job or maybe that person won't like me anymore now you're you're thinking like someone who is not a co-heir with christ you are thinking as someone who is on the back burner a servant someone who is not created in the image of god so remember who you are live out of that live out of that identity don't let anybody else shame you to make you think that you are less than who you are in christ got so many people that want to tear us down and Christ is saying you are my brother you are my sister and you mean more to the father than you can possibly ever know with that let's pray father it is my desire that we would be mindful of who we are as people who have been created in your image I pray that we would be 
aware of what the word says about us and that we would dive deeply into it and that we would know more and more what you have to say and how to change our lives to reflect what we see there. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here today who is not standing in that status of co-heir with Christ, that, that today would be the day that you change their heart, that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to the truth and they would come forward for, uh, for a life-changing and eternity-changing decision. And Lord, for those of us who are in Christ and who are struggling with remembering who we are, Lord, I pray that we would remember the identity that we're given in Christ. Co-heirs with Christ forever. Your beloved children forever. Our status forever changed. We love you. It's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.